We're going to sing verse 1 and 2 in the chorus. be seated. Thank you, Vance. I always enjoy singing the Christmas carols. I don't know about everybody else, but one of the things I look forward to is getting to sing those Christmas carols. Psalm 119, if you have your Bible, Psalm 119 is where you can go. Your Bible, or if you've got the Bible on an iPad or an iPhone or I whatever, uh, get it open to Psalm 119, we're uh, going to our last section, our last eight verses of this today. I'm going to take a moment. I appreciate putting the offering right in front of me. You know, that's quite a motivation to preach. I don't know if it's that appreciate, a motivation to preach well or preach short or preach long. I'm not sure. I'm going to put it over here. I don't want to start taking dollar bills and stuffing them in my pants or anything. But um, anyway, you know, the Christian life is a little odd, uh, a little different from most other aspects of life. I, my wife and I, we had four kids, 
And each of those four kids, <clears throat> the goal was to get them to, well, live, simply put, right? We wanted them to live. We wanted them to grow up, right? You want your child to, to grow. You, you feed it milk. You change those diapers. You get it to grow. Then, right, at some point, you're hoping it'll start moving around on its own. It'll start walking uh, as the years go by. Don't you try to get that child as independent of you as possible? Nobody wants to have an 18-year-old that you're holding on your hip or carrying in a, in a little carrier like that, Megan. I mean, nobody, right? For the most part, we don't want that. We want our kids to grow up. And in most other aspects of life, that is the point. We want to get them to, you know, whether it's a business, if, if you're an employee-manager type relationship, your point or your goal as a manager is to get your employees to to a point where they can do their job without your constant supervision. You want them to be independent of, of you overlooking them all the time, right? Or, um, uh, you know, every aspect, there's something like that. Whether it's philosophy, whether it's education, whether it's a vocation, um, the, the goal, the, the point is to get them as independent as possible. They can work on their own, do life on their own, and that's how progress is often measured. It's, it's measured by the lack of dependence on the source or the teacher or the boss or the manager, the steward, whatever you want to call the person that is overseeing their development. But in the Christian life, it's completely different. In the Christian life, the goal is not to grow independent of God. The goal is to grow more dependent on God. In fact, I would say that your spiritual maturity is displayed by the more dependent you grow on God every single day. In fact, every single day, I don't want less of God, but don't we want more of Him? More of His impact, more of His um, insight into our life, more of His leadership. The deeper I grow in my relationship with Christ, the deeper... I want to lean dependently on God, on Christ, on the presence and the, the indwelling Holy Spirit to lead me every moment of my life. I don't need less of Him. I find I need more and more and more of Him. For 22 weeks, we've been in one chapter of the Bible. That's, you know, that just confounds me when I think about it. 22 sermons one chapter of the Bible. And some of you are probably like, is this ever going to end, right? I mean, can't, there's, there's 66 books in the Bible, Brother Brian. Can't you go somewhere else? And I know how you feel because there's a part of me that was like, okay, maybe I bit off a little more than I could chew. But I, I can't deny what I felt like the Lord was telling me to do. Because I feel like each week, even though each week, each section of this awesome chapter of God's Word, even though there were similar themes of the importance of God's Word in our life, I feel like each, even each similar theme, there was a separate and an independent part of the psalmist trying to say, I need you, God, in my life in this area. And my question is, as we walked through this chapter, did we take the opportunity to look at that and say, God, I need to be more dependent on you in this area? Whether it's your scripture, whether it's your word, whether it's in trials, whether it's afflictions, whether it's oppositions, whatever it is that I'm facing, I need to be more dependent on you. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's kind of this final 
section, this final moment where the author, the psalmist, who we've, we've kind of toyed around with the idea was, was this David? Probably it probably was. But we see him growing in this dependence, this idea of depending on God. And there's four areas of his life I want to just point out to you of dependence that the psalmist has grown in needing in his life. Let's look at Psalm 119. We're just going to look at it in section, four sections of this, uh, this last eight verses, starting in verse 169. Let's read, look at those first two verses. He says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. If there's four areas of dependence through this eight verses, I want to point out to you. The first area is this, that the psalmist has gained, that growth in his life, he's realized how dependent he is first in his prayer. He is dependent on the Lord, he's dependent on God's word in his prayers. These two verses, verse 169 and verse 170, they start out with two different words that the Hebrew language would use for prayer. In verse 169, the word we translate, let me cry, is not a word that refers to weeping. It's not a word that refers to despair. Instead, this word, let me cry, is, is often is used as a word of acclamation, a shout of joy even sometimes. It's determined by its context. In this particular instance, the translators, the people who were looking at the original Hebrew thought that it had to do with, with despair, perhaps. And so they said, let me cry. Let me cry. It's a desperate plea, though, for help. Again, he's not crying. He's not weeping. He's not in despair. But he is desperate. He is desperately in need of God's help. It's used. Its use is always in regard to directing the prayer, the cry, the shout of acclamation, whatever it is, to one person, to God. You see, he's saying, I'm directing myself to the only hearer, the only responder to my prayers. And then in verse 170, the word that is translated supplication is one more commonly used for prayers. Now, we don't use it in our language every day, right? I mean, when was the last time you said, Child, make supplication of what you want from me. The idea, though, is, is you ask for supplies to your needs. That, that's what the, the psalmist is saying. I'm making supplication. I, I'm directing my needs to God. It's a word that refers to making requests. It implies that the one making the supplication for asking for their needs to be supplied realizes this. The only hope for their needs to be met is, is for divine intervention. I direct my supplication, I direct my cries to one source because he is the only one who can do anything about anything. You know, the true prayer is the recognition that God is the only hope in every situation. But in our prayers, this is only a portion of the total dependence. Dependent on his prayer. Dependence on God is manifested by how much we go to Him in prayer. It's not just how or uh, that we pray to Him, but it's how much we go to Him in prayer. I'm reminded of a theologian who said, I'm very busy today. I have much to accomplish. And for this reason, I must spend at least three hours in prayer 
before my day gets started. But we might tend to think the opposite, wouldn't we? I've got much to do today. I have much to accomplish. And for that reason, I'm going to have to forego prayer and get going on my daily schedule. I've got to get those check marks in the box and accomplish what I need to accomplish. But spiritual growth is displayed when we recognize our dependence in our prayers to God to even accomplish anything in the day. It's displayed when we recognize the need to eliminate something else from our life in order to make time to spend in prayer. I've got much to accomplish. For that reason, I'm turning off the TV so I can spend time in prayer. I have much to accomplish, and for that reason, I'm logging off of Facebook so I can spend time in prayer. I have much to get done today, therefore I'm putting down this book that is really intriguing, and instead I'm spending time in, in prayer. Or if you're driving down the road, you're saying, I've got much to do today, I'm going to turn off the radio, stop listening to uh, sports radio or whatever it is, and instead spend that time in prayer. But it's not just spending the time in prayer that demonstrates our dependence. You see, at the end of both of these verses, the psalmist makes a statement. What does he say? He says, give me understanding according to your word. And then he says it again at the end of verse 170. He says, according, deliver me according to your word. You see, the answer to both of his prayer requests is simply this, according to your word, according to you, according to what you say is best. There are many purposes for us to spend time in prayer. Prayer is an act of worship, so we should pray for the simple act of worshiping God. Prayer also opens communication with God, for God to speak to us and us to speak to God. But prayer also causes our wills to be molded to His will. And essentially what the psalmist is saying is, I am dependent on Him in my prayer to the point that I say, not my will, O Lord, but Thy will be done. Does that sound familiar? Not my will, but Thy will be done? Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was praying, dependence in His prayer looks like saying, God, I know what I want, give me what I need. Because you know better than anyone else. When I was fresh out of college, I just earned my bachelor's degree. The next day, the very next day, I got married. <laughs> Happily. Ever since. 19 years. But I was desperate for a job. I mean, I had this degree. I had this wife. I needed a job. A full-time job. All I had was a job at FedEx shuffling boxes. Made pretty good money for a college student, but not very good money as a graduate of college and a husband now. And so I was desperate to get into ministry. I, I knew I was called into ministry, and I sent out resumes and this, that. And this church, this church, yes, this church gave me a call. And we went down, and we interviewed, and man, it was, it was a big church. I was desperate. We didn't spend a lot of time in prayer. We looked at the salary. We looked at the church. We looked at it. It was in Austin. You know, we're young. We're like, hey, this is, is going to be fun. And we, off we went. And for the next year and a half, we had so much turmoil in our life because of some theological differences. You know, they didn't necessarily believe everything that the Bible said was true. That was kind of a big thing for me. They didn't believe that Jesus was the only way of salvation. That was kind of a big thing for me. Anyway, long story short, Kathleen and I learned a very important lesson. We learned to pray this, God, not our will, but your will be done. 
We don't want to be anywhere that you don't want us. We want to always be in the center of your will. No matter what, no matter where, we want to be where you want us to be. We want to be doing what you want us to be doing. Essentially, it's this. Answer us according to your word. Which is essentially saying, Lord, answer us according to your will. I want to encourage you to learn this kind of dependence on God in your prayer life. I also want us to see the psalmist's dependence in his praise. Verse 171 and 172, he says, My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. In verse 171, he uses that phrase, utter praise. It's a Hebrew word. It means to overflow. It's often used in the Hebrew language to talk about a babbling brook, a stream that is so full of water it cannot help but to flow downstream. Around here, we're pretty familiar with water, aren't we? A couple of months ago, we got 30 inches of rain. I don't know about you, but we have a, we have a storm drain. Basically, it takes all that water, and every day during that storm, that 30 inches of rain we got, I was going outside and checking that storm drain to make sure that nothing got in that hole to clog it up because I knew if that hole got clogged up, there would be issues at Pine Street. Uh, not only our house, but other houses would have some serious water flooding issues. And thankfully, you know what? In fact, I went to the city of Comanil after that storm and I said, thank you, whatever y'all did to get that drain flowing. I sure appreciate it. Uh, we gave a little praise because of it. Water has to have a place to flow. Generally, it has to flow. If it doesn't flow, then there's going to be issues. Our praise, likewise, is made to flow out of us. Words, uttering out of our mouth, they naturally come. If we try to dam it up and keep it there, many issues we will face. The biggest is that we still glory from God. We still worship and praise that was meant to go to Him when we dam up ourselves and don't utter praises unto God. And this is what verse 172 continues, essentially says when he says, my, son, my tongue shall speak of your word. What he essentially is saying is, I'm going to testify. What is going to utter out of my mouth, what is going to overflow out of my heart, is the testimony of what your word has done for me. I can't help it. Giving testimony of what God has done, giving testimony of what God has done through His Word in our lives. And listen, I'm not getting these mixed up. I'm not worshiping this book as God. But understand, what we hold in our hands is the written revelation of God to mankind. We have in our hands the will of God poured out for mankind. And so we can know God through knowing His Word. The reason, though, we are so alienated from this concept is because we have alienated ourselves from the Word of God. We don't dig in it. We don't spend time in it. We don't study it like we need to. Instead, we, instead of getting that daily dose of devotional reading for our dependence on God, we go to everything else or maybe we read one little verse and we read somebody else's devotional thoughts and that's that. Or maybe we don't even do that. Let me ask you, do you have a recent testimony of how God's Word changed you? Do you have a recent testimony that you could share of how reading God's Word grew you somewhere in your life? Do you have a recent testimony, a praise you can give of how God's Word answered 
a question you were having or maybe a, a trouble or a trial you were facing, how God's Word helped you through that. If not, that may mean you need to spend a little more time in God's Word and a little less, less time on Facebook or watching TV or reading your soap opera or, or whatever else, right? I suggest you find time to put yourself into the clutches of God's love and enwrap you, that enwrap you, and spend less time doing other things. Spend more time in God's Word. I want you to think about what comes out of your mouth. What do you talk about? You see, what comes out of our mouth essentially is what we are giving praise to. What comes out of our mouth is the overflow of our heart. What do you testify about when you sit down to talk about somebody or talk about to somebody? Maybe that's what you talk about. When you sit down to talk to somebody, you end up talking about somebody. Or do you sit around and talk about sports, your favorite sports team or your least favorite sports team? Do you sit around and talk about hunting, your physical pains, your bathroom issues? Speaking of a babbling brook that overflows, right? What do you have flowing out of your mouth? I have a friend who made this statement that I thought was very poignant with this message. He said, I find when that I spend less time with Jesus privately, I have less to tell about Him publicly. That should be up on the screen, right? Yeah. I find that when I spend less time with Jesus privately, I have less to tell about Him publicly. If the Word of God is not overflowing out of your mouth, it may mean that you've not spent any time with Him privately. The psalmist doesn't want to give glory to anything else except the Word of God. Because giving glory to God is a natural overflow of spending time in the Word of God. And he is desperately in need of that. He recognizes it. I don't want anything to come out of my mouth that isn't from your Word, Lord. We are also to be dependent on God's Word for our praise, for what comes out of our mouth. We are in desperate need of God to change the words that spill from our lips. And if we have words of hate, let God's Word change it to words of love and words of compassion and words of mercy. Number three, verse 173 through 175. Got to keep moving. He says, Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Verse 175, let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. The psalmist lists three things in this three verses. Verse 173, he says, let your hand help me. Then in verse 174, he says, he longs for the Lord's salvation. In verse 175, he says, let my soul live. I want to just sum these three statements by this, up like this. He is dependent on God's presence. Dependent on His, capital H. I've shifted. It's no longer dependent in His prayers, dependent in His praise. In other words, the psalmist. Now the psalmist is saying, I'm dependent on God's presence. Dependent on His presence. How does that relate? Let your hand help me. It's a request for the guiding, directing, providential hand of God on His life. I've talked a bit about the favor of the Lord. It's something I know I need, and so it's something that I ask for every day. Lord, give me favor with your church. Lord, give me favor with the town of Culminale. Give me favor with whoever I come into contact with 
that I can glorify you in everything I say and that I do. It's something I pray for my family as well. I want God's hand on my life. I don't know about you, but if my choice is to, guide, or to have my hand guiding my life and God's hand guiding my life, which one would you choose? God's. Are you sure? That's whose hand I want guiding my life. Every single day, every single moment of every day, I want God, the creator of all things, you know, the one who spoke into existence everything, that's who I want guiding and directing my life. Let your hand help me, is what he says. Let your hand help me. I've chosen your precepts, I've chosen your word, now direct me according to it, God. Verse 174, the psalmist says he longs for the Lord's salvation. He is desperately dependent on God to save him, the God, God's presence in his life to give him salvation. Now, is he just talking about eternal salvation? He could be talking about what I would say is just a temporal salvation. You know, he, he may be talking about the troubles, the trials, the afflictions, the opposition that he has faced that he's talked about for 176 verses of prayer, right? Lord, I need salvation from my current situation. I don't know about you, but when I'm facing troubles, that's what I'm dependent on. As much as I love my family, as much as I love you guys, I'm more dependent on God's presence in my life than anything else when I'm facing a trial, a tribulation, or an affliction. What are you dependent on? I think the psalmist is saying, I long for your salvation more than anybody else's salvation because they can't save me, God, like you can, in my present situation. Or... He may be talking about the eternal salvation. He could be talking about both. But here's what I'm talking about, the eternal salvation. How many have ever thought, I'm tired of this world and I'm ready to go home? Heaven. I'm not talking about like 209 Pine Street, right? Or 1500 North Wall. That's our old address in Belton. Home. Right? We, we long for something better. We long for something without all these trials and these tribulations and these... The, these, these, these things that we run into in our everyday life, we long for the eternal salvation of God. Why? Because we were made for something better than what this world has to offer. And that is fulfilled in completion when this life is over and we have the eternal realization of the salvation we have been promised through Jesus Christ and we have a bit of that promise in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Listen, if you find yourself longing for heaven, you're in good company. Because every true, redeemed, born-again believer, that's what they long for. They realize how imperfect this world is, and they don't want any part of it again or anymore. They're ready for heaven. But until God calls us to that place where it's time to go to heaven, we're called to continue in this place. But it doesn't mean we can't cry out, God, I long for your salvation. I long for the eternity that I have been promised. Just like old Caleb, when he got to the promised land, and he said to them, give me my mountain. God promised me a mountain. Listen, some of you are like, I am ready for heaven. God promised it to me. Well, until it's time, it's not time. So keep on keeping on in the name of God. Verse 175, he states, let my soul live, which is similar to his earlier request when he would say, revive me Revive my soul, revive my heart, revive my spirit. It's the same idea. He realizes that the presence of God will revitalize him. 
But without the presence of God, there's no revitalization. There's no revival in his heart. There's no joy. There's no hope. There's no grace. There's no mercy apart from the Lord. And recognizing this, he cries out for it. Bring me life. Set my soul or let my soul live. And it shall praise you and let your judgments help me. He wants more than anything for God's presence in his life. Is this unique? Is this, is this a, a first-time kind of request for someone to say, God, I want your presence in my life? Absolutely not. Throughout Scripture, you see the people of God saying, God, I want more of you. I want your presence in my life. I'm going to give you some Scriptures to go look up. In Exodus 33, 18, Moses, he's been spending so much time with God. The Bible says he spoke to God face-to-face as a friend. And yet in Exodus 33, 18, we see Moses make this request of God. In the midst of a conversation with God, he says, God, show me your glory. Which essentially means this, God, I want to see your face. It's not enough that I get to talk to you. It's not enough that you, you and I spend time together. I speak to you like no man has ever spoken to you. But God, I want to see you. I want to see your face. Show me your glory. Of course, God says, you can't see my face. No one can see my face and live. But stand against the rock. I'll come by. I'll cover your face. And you can see my backside, essentially. But that's what Moses' request is. I want to see you. I want more. I want more of you. David, the probable author of this Psalm 119, he states somewhere else, Psalm 27.4, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Essentially, he's saying, if there's one thing I could ask, it's to spend time with God, to be in his presence more than anything else. You can have your ruby, you can have your gold, you can have your precious stuff. Give me God. Give me God. Give me God's presence. John the Baptist, in John chapter 3, verse 30, he says, God must increase, I must decrease. Or how about Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. And then later in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. One of the most influential leaders in the New Testament. I was talking in our Sunday school class. This guy wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And yet here he is saying, proclaiming, I want to know Christ. What, Paul, you don't know him? No, no, what he's really saying is, I want more. I want his presence. I want more of it. I don't want a moment of my life not in his presence. I am desperately dependent on his presence in my life. It's hard to be dependent on His presence, though, if we're doing things that we would not want Him to see. Are you dependent on His presence? Reminds me of an old hymn we sing sometimes. The verses go like this. They're repetitive, so let me just say the one line. It says, In the morning when I rise, dark midnight was my cry. Just about the break of day, oh, when I come to die, give me Jesus. You may have all this world, but give me Jesus. I am dependent and desperately in need of as much of His presence as I can get in my life. Every moment of every day, like that old other verse, uh, other hymn says, I need Thee every hour, O Lord, I need Thee. Finally, I can't think of a better verse for this chapter to end on than verse 176. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. 
for I do not forget your commandments. The final thought here is that he is dependent on his pursuit. Capital H, if I'm talking about God. The psalmist is dependent on God's pursuit of him. At first we might read this verse and say and think, well, the psalmist is, is ending with a confessional, right? He, he's, he's fallen away. He's strayed away from God's plan for his life. After 176 verses of prayer to God about God's word, you'd think he was a little more able to walk the straight and narrow, right? And to go right back into sin, or go right back into being a strayed, lost sheep. But I wonder who in here can relate to this thought that at your most devoted moment in your life, the most spiritual growth or maturity or whatever you want to call it, there is that moment where the temptation comes and you give in. You see, what the psalmist is really saying is that he is utterly hopeless without God's pursuit. That's why he says, seek me like a lost sheep. I've gone astray. Seek me. And so he's not so much making an admission of a current sin in his life. He's not saying, well, I sinned again, God, come find me. As much as he's making an admission of his dependence on God's pursuit of him. Because what Scripture teaches is that on our own, we are utterly incapable of finding salvation, of confessing Jesus as Lord, of proclaiming Him as the Lord of our life. You remember when Peter makes that wonderful proclamation, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what Jesus said to him? Blessed are you, Peter, because man did not reveal this to you. Knowledge did not reveal this to you. God revealed this to you. It was a proclamation that realizing God had pursued him. Instead, what Scripture teaches is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That left to our own accord, we would gladly choose sin. That unless the Father calls us, unless the Spirit draws us, no man can be saved. That unless the Father draws us into him, we will reject him. That we will gladly choose sin over salvation and that no one will seek God on their own. No one chooses God on their own. But instead, what the Bible teaches is that we are dependent on His pursuit of us. If He doesn't pursue us, we're not found. Like a lost little sheep who has strayed away from the herd. There's many beautiful parables in the New Testament that Jesus tells. Perhaps the one that we respond to the best is the one where Jesus says in Luke 15 that the Father is like a shepherd. The 99 might be in the fold and one has gone astray. And what, is, what does the shepherd do? He says, doesn't the shepherd put aside the 99 and go seeking after the lost one and finding it, puts it over his shoulders essentially and carries it back to the fold. God pursues us with earnestness, with love, with grace. The psalmist states, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. It's another reason to assume that David is the author of this chapter. As we know, he was a shepherd. He spent a lot of time tending to sheep, probably going and finding lost sheep. And the lost sheep is helpless. 
fact, the lost sheep can't find its way back to the herd. And if not for the wisdom and grace of the shepherd to come and seek the lost sheep, the sheep would remain lost. We are dependent on his pursuit of us. Without it, we would still be lost. Well, now what, you might say? What, what do we do with this? We need to understand. We need to be motivated. We need to be reminded that it is not an accident, nor is it a coincidence that this scripture teaches that all of us, not this scripture, but scripture, Isaiah specifically teaches that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned away to his own way. Nor is it a coincidence that if David did indeed write this, and he ends this by saying, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Here he is talking like a shepherd. And yet it's not a coincidence also realizing that David was the promised, or his seed was the promised heir of the throne of Israel that would become, come to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal King of Israel, the throne of David. That's what Jesus Christ came to fulfill. That's not a coincidence either, nor is it a coincidence or accident that Jesus would be called the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd. Nor is it a coincidence that He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I believe this scripture points us directly to Christ, to His glorious revelation in the New Testament. What a gracious realization that we are desperately dependent on His pursuit. We are desperately dependent on His presence in our life. And because of that, God didn't settle with just giving us a written revelation. God sent us a physical revelation of His Son in Jesus Christ. You know, this season is such a wonderful season, but it's not because of the decorations. As, as much time as Rhonda and her crew spent on these decorations, she'll be the first to tell you it's not about the decorations. It's not about the gifts, kids. It's not about the family gatherings. It's not about the food. This celebration of this Christmas season is all about God pursuing lost mankind. And because He did that, He sent His Son knowing He would be rejected. Why? Because there's no good in us of our own. God had to send good, let it be crucified, let it be resurrected, and then, and then give us a gift of faith to believe in His Son. I want to ask you, what are you dependent on this morning? What are you putting your dependence in? Do you find yourself totally dependent on God, on His presence, on His pursuit of you? Or do you find yourself just kind of living life however it comes? We're going to have a time of invitation this morning, a time of response. If you've never responded to that passionate pursuit of God through the person of Jesus Christ by proclaiming Him as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that this morning during this time of invitation. I, I, I want to ask you and invite you to just respond however the Lord is moving in you. If you need to come ask questions, I'll be down here in just a moment. My wife is also down here. She'll be happy to answer any questions you might have. We've also got these kneeling benches. You can come and just pray if you, if you want to spend time in prayer. The important thing is, is that you recognize how dependent you are on God because you are whether you realize it or not. That's the, that's the truth here. We are all dependent on Him whether we realize it or not. The question is, is will you come to that realization and surrender to Him in your life today?
Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for what it's meant to us. We thank you for the example of David. But Lord, we thank you for sending your son. Lord, that your pursuit of us, of lost humanity, had no boundaries. It had no end. But Lord, you went to the greatest length we could ever imagine. Somebody said earlier, I couldn't imagine giving up my child. I couldn't either. But you did. And you not even imagined it, but you made it reality. And you did it because of a great love you have for us. Because of your passionate pursuit of us. Thank you for that, Lord. May we give you praise all the days of our life for it. Lord, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would just move in each of us. And move us to respond to your gospel this morning. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with